Amen. Hey, thank you so much, Fred, for filling in today. So, uh, Fred really stepped up to the plate. Uh, Tay is out of town. Uh, her and Rob are enjoying one of their last uh, weekends away while she's on, on vacation from the school district. Uh, Mike and Susan Coho, um, who also fill in for us, are both under the weather with uh, the cough congestion thing that uh, so many of us have had over the last few weeks. And Mike and Susan, we're definitely praying for you. I know they're watching uh, online today, so we as a church will be praying for you guys for a very speedy recovery. And Fred stepped in, and we really appreciate it. So thanks, Fred. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word today. Today we begin a new series, a new focus leading up through Easter, which will be the end of March. Uh, just the words, the invitation of Jesus to the life that he offers us uh, and emphasis on discipleship. So today we start in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 35 down through 51. This is where Jesus calls some of his first disciples. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? <laughs> Editorial note, as God in the flesh, he knew what they wanted, but he played along nicely. What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, which actually means rock as well. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked, Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In other words, not afraid to speak his mind. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. An editorial note again, that means he saw and he knew what Nathanael said about Nazareth. <laughs> then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
Father God, as we have gathered together, we've assembled together here, both in person and online in these moments. Some will be joining online at another date. As we come together to worship, to begin our year with the priority of giving of ourselves to you, we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray for your Spirit to be at work in us and on us, among us, and through us as we as individual believers and we as a community of brothers and sisters in Christ dedicate this year to you. Father, as we come to you, may we see you in your glory, your power, see you in your love and in your goodness, Lord, to us. Lord, we avail ourselves to the work of your Spirit to change us, to call us, to, to conform us into the people you would have us to be as sons and daughters of the King Most High. Father God, as always, I ask and I pray that my words do not get in the way of your word, but that you work, that you speak, that you bring glory to yourself as your son Jesus is lifted up, O oh Father God. Lord, may the attention of our minds, may the intentions of our hearts, may the actions of our lives be focused solely on our Savior, our Lord, our sovereign, your Son, O Father God. And it's in the name that is above every name. It is in the name that the only name under which in heaven we may, we be, may we be saved, the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please be seated today? As we begin this series, I want to open up, and this is just simply an invitation. So there's actually four specific groups or four specific audiences I am going to be addressing today. You may be in one of these audiences. You may not be. So here's what I'm asking for those of you who can uh, sit through this and think, you know what? I'm not any one of those four. I'm in a special, unique category all by myself. I am a sanctified, perfect, holy child of God. Well, feel free to talk to God in these next few minutes. Those of us who aren't so sanctified or self-righteous, God may have something to say to us, but there's going to be four specific groups I'm dealing with today. And this is the invitation Jesus is extending to you through this time in worship and this time in his word. And I pray that you are one of the four. And I said, if you're not, that's okay. We'll talk. We can talk a little bit later. Jesus is the answer. There was a church in the Seattle area where I, I lived and served for so many years and just had a huge, huge sign above their church building and those, like those, those four-foot block letters said, Christ is the answer. And it always used to get mocked on social media and in social circles and like that. Said, oh, well, Christ is the answer, but what is the question? And the quick retort was, it doesn't matter the question. Jesus is always the answer. Jesus is who we need to go to for the answers of the questions of our mind, the questions of our heart, those questions nagging us, the things we are longing for. The answer is always Jesus. But maybe sometimes we need a little bit of help to get there. 
So we turn to the scriptures. The first audience I want to address today is the invitation Jesus makes to the seeker. If Jesus interests you or intrigues you, but you have some reservations, you may have some questions. No, those questions may be theological, they may be emotional, they may be experiential, because things either haven't worked out or, or things have worked out, but they've just gone wrong for you. And so your experiences may be tainting your interest in Jesus. But there's something that you, you have an interest, you're attracted to Jesus, but you're just kind of holding back. You're, you're, you're afraid to buy into this whole thing wholeheartedly. Here's what I want you to hear and know today. This is amazing news. Because if you are interested in Jesus, if you are intrigued in Jesus, if you have anything within you desiring to know more about Jesus, understanding that he may be what you're lacking in your life, that means God is specifically targeting you. It's not happenstance. It's not an accident. It's just not mere curiosity. Your curiosity in Jesus is a supernatural work that is happening on your heart and in your mind right now, drawing you to Jesus. We know that for two reasons. Number one, the vast majority of the world is not caring about Jesus just yet. God's not finished with them. But God is working on you. And we know, because even Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So you may be kind of interested. You may be a little bit intrigued. There, there's something about Jesus that is, that is speaking into your heart and mind. That is God talking to you, God working on your heart. It's a supernatural thing. Count yourself blessed that God is calling you. At least as we read in the text, two of Jesus' disciples were first disciples of a man named John the Baptist. Now a disciple is simply a student, a learner, or a follower. That's what Jesus calls all of us to be. To be. A disciple is one who believes in Jesus, but it's so much more than belief. A disciple is one who looks to Jesus on how to learn to live differently, how to, to live in relationship with God, how to, to reorient themselves to the world and to the self. A disciple is one who follows Jesus. Now, these two disciples, as they were following John the Baptist, who was the precursor to Jesus, the one announcing that the Messiah was coming, they were desiring spiritual guidance. They were seeking a, a path of spiritual fulfillment. They were interested in the things of God, and they were attracted to the, to the radical preaching that John the Baptist did. But they were just looking at the, at the introductory or the initial step. It is an incomplete place. He, even John himself said, I am not the one who is to come. I am simply preparing the way for the one who is to come. And we get all these wonderful teachings from John the Baptist of he must increase, I must decrease. I'm not even fit to untie his sandals. 
That was the humility that John the Baptist had as he pointed to Jesus. So these two disciples, they're spiritually hungry. They're attracted to the preaching of John. John then points them to Jesus. Perhaps your spiritual appetite has been whetted by a website or a book or an experience of someone else. But you're just in that introductory phase. You're kind of getting attracted to the spiritual but not religious trope. Perhaps some things are going on in your life and you're kind of struggling to figure out exactly what it is. It means God is working. God is calling to you. So the answer is this. Look to Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, which includes ours. Do you notice what the two disciples did? They transferred their allegiance from John the Baptist to Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher. They went to Jesus. They acknowledged him as teacher. And then they went with him. Where are you staying? Jesus said simply, come and see. They didn't need the answers. Jesus didn't say, oh, I'm staying at the Ramada outside of town. Let's come hang out in the lobby for a while. They didn't have Ramadas or lobbies back then. Jesus doesn't, doesn't need to tell them where he is going or where he is staying. They simply desire to follow. That's the first step of faith. When Jesus says, come and see, we say, okay, I will follow. I will go with you and see what happens. They went with him. So Jesus' invitation to you who may be seeking is simply this. Come and see for yourself, but take the time and make the effort to truly learn from Jesus as your teacher and see what he does. If you are seeking, now is the time. Respond to Jesus. The second audience I want to offer the invitation to is to the skeptic. Can a disciple be a skeptic? Important word. It's on the screen now. Working on the timing, Caden. Timing. Absolutely. There we go. So I sprung that on Caden. That's not his fault. That's my fault. Sprung on him. Didn't, didn't warn him about that. Can a disciple of Jesus be a skeptic? Yes, absolutely. A skeptic is merely a critical thinker, a questioner, a desirer. That's a real word, by the way. I looked up in Merriam-Webster's. The, the, the Microsoft Word did not like it at all, but it's in the dictionary. A desirer of deeper and better answers. That's actually what Jesus wants of all of us. Keep asking the questions. Look to Jesus more and more, for more and more. A skeptic is a doubter, not a disbeliever. Doubt is not a sin. Disbelief is what disqualifies us. Doubt instead actually, I think, at least in my opinion, is what makes faith more vibrant, more vital more courageous, and even more rewarding. 
When we choose to trust and follow Jesus, even if we don't know where he's staying, we don't know where he is taking us, but we simply trust and yield ourselves, there is a vitality of taking that step of faith. So if you're the skeptic, and you've got a lot of questions, and you've got a lot of issues you would love to have all the answers for in a nice tidy box before taking that step of faith. You need to take the step to get the answers. Even one of Jesus' very first disciples had some very negative preconceptions to overcome. He had his doubts that the Messiah could be from Nazareth. Nazareth was a hill town. It was a backwater. It was obscure. There are virtually no references to this town of Nazareth in any of the literature of the time. It was there, but it was pretty much nothing. And so when Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? There are odes of, of, of elitism there. There are those preconceptions. There are those doubts that God would be doing anything with anybody in Nazareth. You see, it wasn't Jerusalem where the temple was and where all the life and the vitality was, where all the spiritual leaders were. It wasn't even Caesarea, which there was a large synagogue there and a lot of spiritual vitality. It wasn't from one of the more important cities of the empire. It was just a rural hillside backwater. And Nathaniel had his doubts until he met Jesus. And Jesus spoke right to his heart. Jesus confronted him without being confrontational. When he walked up, Jesus says, there's a man without any duplicity. There's a man who has integrity. There's a man who speaks his mind. How do you know me? How, how do you know that about me, Jesus? Because I saw you in your previous exchange. Do you know what it's like? to kind of be caught <laughs> when your, your words that you thought were private or, or at least very contained to a small group all of a sudden are out there. Nathaniel was caught. His doubt, his skepticism, his preconceived discrimination was out there. Jesus knew it. Jesus offered him to come anyway. Follow me. And Nathaniel says, truly, you're the king. <laughs> he yields instantly. If you are in that category of being a skeptic, you're interested in Jesus, you like Jesus, but man... There's just so many questions and so many issues. And there's so many YouTube personalities to consult before I make my decision. Jesus' invitation to you is this. Get off the computer. 
or at least change your playlist for what you're watching on YouTube. Come to Jesus directly, but be willing to risk. Be willing to risk Jesus wrecking you. And I don't mean that in a bad way. In some ways, we have to be broken before we can be rebuilt, right? Obviously, this is not a body that does a lot of working out. But in my younger years, I actually weightlifted quite a bit. Much younger years, a long time ago. The process of working out is that as you're lifting weights, you are actually tearing down muscle. You are, you are breaking up muscle so that when it repairs and rebuilds, it comes back stronger and better. That's what God does to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We're, we're convicted, we're broken, we're wrecked. Our arrogance, our self-centeredness, our need for having all the answers, not that our minds could contain them anyway, is pushed to the side. And Jesus wrecks us. Be willing to risk that. Don't make it merely an academic exercise or a philosophical exercise. Come authentically and willingly to see what Jesus does in your life. It's a good invitation. It's a good challenge. The third audience is to the struggler. Jesus' invitation to you who may be struggling at this season, you believe in Jesus, or at least you think you believe in Jesus, but Jesus just doesn't seem to work for you. Jesus isn't doing what you want him to do. Because I've read Joel Osteen's books and, and, and life just isn't happy and blessed and breakthrough and powerful all the time. The, the whole Christian celebrity thing, the whole health and wealth thing, just it's not there. That's because it's false doctrine. <laughs> it's not only non-biblical, it's anti-biblical. Maybe you've been caught up in some of those, those lies or those misconceptions of, of false teaching. And it's unfortunate, it's the way the gospel has been packaged to America and to the West for, for, for like almost two generations now. Come to Jesus and have a better marriage. Come to Jesus and be a better parent. Have better children. Come to Jesus and be blessed. Experience breakthrough experience favor in all of your endeavors. Uh, the, the, the whole prayer of Jabez thing, like from a whole generation ago, come to Jesus and pray the right prayer and God will expand your territories. You see, because it's all about God blessing you. It's all about what we can get from God. That's false teaching. That, that's just wrong doctrine. When we come to Jesus, yes, we get so much. Uh, we get, as Jesus said, it's, 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 it's pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, all these blessings in abundance, but it's not the blessings that we equate with the way the world equates blessings. So maybe you're trying the Jesus thing, but it's not working for you, at least in your opinion. Jesus isn't doing what you want him to do because you're, you're still struggling with sin and perhaps your, your marriage or relationships are, are not working out very smoothly and you're, you're, you're struggling as a parent and your kids are being kids. 
and work is just work, and that work's a four-letter word, and we're struggling. So you, you really want to give Jesus a try, but it just doesn't seem to be fitting into your expectations. The prayers, maybe, they're bouncing off the ceiling. You read the Bible for some, some comfort and some encouragement. Instead, it's just kind of confusing, or worse yet, it's just convicting. And it never seems like whatever I do is just not enough. I'm not doing Christianity correctly. You're getting involved in the church, but man, the church is just a lot of people to deal with. And that's why we have social media. We could be social, but it could be done at a distance. And it could be curated, the image and the interactions. Real life is just not like that. So if you're struggling, this is Jesus' invitation to you. Even John the Baptist, the chosen precursor, the one who preached, the one who turned thousands, if not tens of thousands of hearts from the world to the Lord. John the Baptist himself struggled. As his ministry was decreasing, just like he said, he, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. Well, as with any guy, when they see his, when he sees his work, his ministry, his endeavors diminishing and decreasing, it is hard not to take it personally. It's hard on the psyche and on the emotions. John had not only seen his ministry dwindle and diminish, but now he was in prison for preaching against the king, calling out sin. And prisons in those days were exceptionally harsh and inhumane. And in the depths of his own depression, John struggled and questioned whether Jesus really was the one who he thought he was supposed to be. We read in the Gospel of Matthew when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he went to his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Because I am pretty certain that John thought as a chosen spokesman, a prophet of God, with the coming Messiah, with the coming King, that life would not end up in a prison cell. Life would not end up in that just, that dehumanizing, awful place. The believing in Jesus wasn't working out super well for John the Baptist, and so he was questioning. Should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus tells the disciples of John to take this message back to John and say, everything the, the Messiah was prophesied to do is happening because I am the Messiah, I am doing it. Sorry that it's not for you, John. 
the disciples were to take back what they have seen and what they have heard. And sometimes one of the hardest places to be at as a follower of Jesus is to see what Jesus is doing in the lives of others. Scripture says we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and we're to mourn with those who mourn. That's one of the toughest commands in Scripture to follow because rejoicing with those who rejoicing, usually we have to fight off envy. <laughs> because why is God blessing them? Why is God treating them so well? Why can't I get some of that? You know? And mourning with those who mourn. Yes, there's, there could be sadness, but there's also that human tendency that's saying, well, they just, you know, they, that person involved themselves in sin they shouldn't have been involved in. They kind of got what's coming to them and whatever. We can, we can play that game really easily. So Jesus' invitation to you may be struggling is to see in the words of Jesus, to see my work in others and let that be enough for you. And this is super important, the two most important words, for now. Because while Jesus is perhaps doing visible, demonstrable, tangible work in the lives of others, you are not forsaken you are not neglected. You are not being ignored. You are not waiting in line. You are not just waiting to have your number called yet. The Spirit of Jesus is working in you at this time too. We know that from the book of Romans chapter 8. Waiting is a spiritual discipline. Those who wait upon the Lord will be renewed. They will receive strength. Because God is constantly working, even in ways we not, may not be aware of in the moment and in the here and now. So take what Jesus is doing in the lives of others that we can see and that we can hear about. Take it as a, as a, as a preemptive promise for you that, that, that Jesus will do perhaps something similar or perhaps something completely different in your own life. But Jesus has not forgotten. Jesus is not ignoring you. It's often in the struggle that we grow the most spiritually. Embrace the struggle. The fourth audience I want to address today is to the disciple who is simply stuck. You're not really struggling. Your, your faith is pretty solid. It's pretty strong. You're kind of complacent. Faith-wise, you're kind of in that mode of been there, done that. And now you're just maybe perhaps going through the motions. Singing of praise is still inspiring. There are those songs that just kind of hit you right in the heart. And that's nice. You still find scripture convicting or instructive or even encouraging. The fellowship is still enjoyable when we get to hang out with fellow Christians. And you know beyond a doubt that you are a child of God. But something's still kind of missing. Jesus' call on our lives to come and follow is also a call to go and do 
integral to Jesus' disciple-making process is that he will make us fishers of men, which is a metaphor for helping others become disciples of Jesus too. And usually what happens in the spiritual life when we reach that, that complacency or that, just that, that sense of, I'm doing everything right, but just nothing's clicking anymore. It's because Jesus and the work of the Spirit in the world has filled us up. Now it's time for the overflow. There, there's got to be outgo for things to income, right? It's not just about coming to Jesus and receive the forgiveness of sins, the fullness of life, all of those things. Yes, we receive that. But how Jesus blesses us is so that we will then be a blessing to others. As he loves us, we are to love others. As he gives to us, we are to give to others. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. I am sure that was an interesting conversation at the dinner table that night. That's a sermon for another time. But it's the following Jesus. Why? To be made into fishers of men. Oh, there's so much there. The calling of God and the, 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 the changing of eternity, the eternal destinations of people, the, the giving away to receive. Oh, there's just so much there. The mission that God has called us to to impact eternity awaits for each of us. One thing often missing in our discipleship with Jesus is that faithfulness is incomplete without fruitfulness. Jesus said, This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Quite often we equate spiritual fruit with simply being faithful. Look at me, Jesus. I'm doing really good. I'm reading the word, I'm praying prayers, I'm showing up at church, I'm singing the songs even off key, but I'm still singing from the heart and that's a joyful noise and that's all God asks for. I'm giving faithfully, I'm even increasing my giving. I, I'm doing these wonderful things. I'm fighting sin. I'm even experiencing some victory over some of the, the words that still dwell in my heart but that escape when I really don't want them to. I'm experiencing some victory over some of those, those, those websites that I used to go to and don't do anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing victory over the animosity I have towards my coworkers. I'm, I'm experiencing victory of the sin of, of either that envy or that, that, that slander that I'm so prone to with others. You see, Jesus, I'm doing good. I'm getting holy and I'm getting spiritual and I'm feeling good about it. The fruit Jesus is saying here is not 
spiritual growth. It's not sanctification. It's not our pursuit of holiness. It's not becoming more Christ-like. You see, that's not the fruit we produce. That's the fruit the Holy Spirit produces in us. That's the work of God. The Spirit of God through the Word of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle self-control, those kinds of things, and so much more. That's what God does in us. So the spiritual fruit we are to produce is not just our spiritual habits, our spiritual practices. It's something different. We have to show that we're disciples, and the only way we can do that is by showing Jesus' love to others. By having those conversations where we talk to our friends who need faith, we talk to them about Jesus. Where we show them love, where we show them mercy, where we give generously to them, where we help them, where we're there for them. Fruitfulness is loving others in such a way, both in word and deed, that they too want to come and see Jesus for themselves. So if you're stuck, 2024 is the year to get unstuck. Create the wish list. A family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, whoever it may be, start praying for them every single day. Look for ways to talk to them about Jesus or at least demonstrate Jesus' goodness to them. Because you never know how God the Holy Spirit is already working on them as a seeker. You may be the one that helps them find. Isn't that cool how it all came back together full circle? That was pretty good. I'd like to have Fred and the, the team come back on stage as we prepare for a time of communion together as a time of singing praise and participating in the act, the worship act of communion together, would you two please stand as we prepare to sing and prepare our hearts? As a church, we follow the practice detailed in Scripture, but also evidenced in the history of the church, at least the first couple hundred years of the church in its various forms. Communion was celebrated as Christians came together every week. We too do that. Communion is where we take a small piece of bread. It represents Jesus and his body, the sacrifice he made for our sins. We take a small sip of juice. It represents the blood of Jesus that paid for our sins and cleansed us from sin. And then as we take the, the bread and the juice within us, it symbolizes that as we personally take hold of what Jesus did on the cross for us and the price that was paid for us, we too are forgiven. We are cleansed. We are made new. We are sustained by the life of Jesus.